Noon is again for Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. And we'll read that verse together. And we read from Psalm 89. We read about the promises that the Lord gave to David and his offspring. Revelation 5 is very much about the fulfillment of those promises. So let's read it together now. So in, our, in Revelation 5, the Apostle John writes for us, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we were privileged to listen to the Apostle John as he described in chapter 4 that he saw an open door in heaven. And that he received from the Lord the command to come up into heaven 
to see the things that would happen in the future. And so John became in the spirit, and in that way he was able to enter through that open door to describe to us what he saw there in heaven. And he described to us who dominated heaven. He saw the triune God sitting on his throne. He saw God's beautiful majesty and he heard God's voice in the rumbling and the peals of thunder coming from the throne. And John described to us how God is in absolute control of everything that happens in the universe. Everything occurs according to his will. And the world's sea of nations which looks to us here on earth like a sea churning up upheaval, calamities and wars, with violence and suffering is before God a sea like glass, smooth and clear as crystal. Nothing happens that God did not expect to happen. Everything goes according to his will and decree and all things will serve to the good of his people and to the glory of his name. His counsel, the 24 elders, together with the four living creatures representing all created beings, continually worship and praise God for all he does. And we were encouraged this morning to join them in the praise and in the worship and to continually put our trust in our Heavenly Father and so live with confidence in this broken world, knowing that He takes care of us. All things are so safely in control of His almighty hands. Though the hair will fall from our head without His will, even the evil that He sends upon us, He will turn to our God. We heard all that this morning. It was all so wonderful to us. But at the end of the chapter 4, John's vision did not end. John's vision continued. And where in chapter 4, the focus of John's attention was drawn to the throne and to him who sat upon it and on his rule of everything. In chapter 5, John's attention is drawn to him who made it possible that God rules the universe in a majestic and awesome, powerful way he does, while at the same time his rule is also so infinitely loving, patient, gracious, and merciful. He continues to make his son rise upon the evil and the good, to send his reign upon the just and the unjust. That's what we heard this morning. But now let's listen to John as he continues to tell us what he saw while he was in the spirit there in heaven. And let's listen to it under the team, the a mighty angel asked a crucial question. And then we see that this crucial question is followed by a grievous silence. Dan bij een comforting revelation. En lastly bij een exultant adoration. First then, we see that that crucial question of that mighty angel was followed by a grievous silence. After John 
John has faithfully reported what he saw as he had entered through that open door in heaven. And while his attention is still focused upon him who sits upon the throne, he sees now that, that he who sits upon the throne has not in his hand, in his right hand, as it says in our translation, but upon his right hand, a scroll. And it's still not just any scroll. But it's a scroll that is in difference with normal scrolls is written full on both sides. Normal scrolls were written only upon on the inside. But not this one. This is completely full on both sides. There is no space, space left to write everything on it anymore. And where normal scrolls would be sealed with just one seal, this one was sealed with seven seals. So what does it all mean? Well, the scroll, the scroll is upon God's right hand. And as you all know, the right hand is the hand by which God, God rules and acts. That's also why a person who rules on behalf of a king sits at the right hand of that king. And from our Lord Jesus Christ, we read in Acts 2 verse 33, that he was exalted at God's right hand. Now, as you will see that this passage has a lot to do with Christ's exaltation. But let's first see what this scroll there upon God's right hand is all about. As you would be able to learn from the rest of the book of Revelation, then we can see that the scroll signifies God's plan for this through sin fallen world during the time beginning with the ascension of his son until his return upon the clouds of heaven the last day. All his acts of justice, the execution of his just wrath, but also the acts of redemption and grace and mercy and the salvation of his people are written on that scroll. Now that this scroll is written full on both sides indicates that there is no room to add anything. And that the scroll is sealed means that no one is able to change anything in it. This is God's eternal plan for the New Testament era, you could say. And everything from the beginning of that age to the end of it, into its smallest detail, is written on that scroll. That God has it upon his hand indicates that he is the author. He wrote it. And that the scroll is not in his hands, but upon his hands, means that God, although he wrote it, don't want to keep it. Someone else must take it from his hand and carry it out. But the thing is, that this scroll is sealed, as he saw, not just with one seal, but with seven seals, meaning that God himself had closed it. He has sealed the scroll, and who is able to open what God has closed, or close what he has opened? And so there is that, mighty, that, that question of that mighty angel, 
proclaiming in a loud voice, a voice that can be heard throughout the heavens as well as anywhere on earth and under the earth, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And, and there is John, witnessing all of this, listening anxiously for an answer. But there was no answer from the heavens. There was no answer even from Michael the archangel or from Gabriel who stands before God. Neither was there an answer from that mighty angel of death who killed Egypt's firstborn. They, mighty though they are, kept silent because they knew they weren't worthy to open the scroll. And John did not hear an answer from the earth either. There was in all the history of the world not even one on the whole earth who was worthy to open that scroll. Abraham, God's friend, for whom God did not hide anything, remained silent. He knew he wasn't worthy. Moses, to whom God spake, spoke face to face and who spoke God's word to his people, could not answer. David, the man after God's own heart. Elijah, who was taken up to God's throne in a whirlwind and a fiery chariot. Even John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets, they all knew that they were not worthy, not qualified to take the scroll of God's plan and to open it. Even from under the earth, there was no answer. Satan may deceptively claim to be in control of this world, but before God's throne is room only for the truth. And so here and now, he too cannot but remain silent. And so, there is that real deadly silence in heaven as well as on the earth followed by this, following this all-important question of the angel. And then John, he can't help himself, and he burst into tears. I began to weep loudly, he wrote. Think about it. John is in heaven, looking at his throne, and he weeps loudly, tears in heaven. He sobs, because there was no one found anywhere who was worthy to carry out God's plan. And in a flash, John realized that if the scroll could not be opened, then all the good things that were in there could not come to pass. The kingdom of God would not come. God's justice and holiness would remain hidden. The promise of a new heaven and a new earth would remain unfulfilled. There would never come a time that the former things would be forgotten and eternal happiness in God's presence would never become reality. The victory would not be to those who follow Jesus Christ and hell and evil would triumph and the attempt to utterly destroy all that God had made would succeed. And so it is John's weeping which breaks the silence that follows the question of that mighty angel. And that silence is deadly. 
and deeply grievous. The scroll cannot be opened. Things will not ever become better. Brothers and sisters, John's tears here are not so unique. There is a whole world of people out there that becomes more and more desperate every day because they search heaven and earth to find something or someone who can undo what hell and evil and sin has done. If the only could find a cure for cancer. If they only would be able to slow down the aging process. If they only could find a way to conquer poverty and suffering in this world. If only they could find a way to stop crime and violence. If only they could stop the pollution so everyone could breathe pure air and the climate would stop changing. If only they could equally divide the wealth in this world, then this world would become so much a better place. Things would get really better then. And so there are many ideals, and there are many idealists and utopias, and much hope is focused upon many a mighty man. And the sacrifices that people are willing to bring, only to get it a little bit better, range from trivial to serious, from noble to atrocious, from brilliant to silly, and non-suffice. The list of attempts is as long as the list of disappointments and the temporary appearance, appearances of triumphs are washed away by streams of tears, of dissolution. For all hope, all hope for a better world can only be realized through God's plan. But the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And therefore, no creature is worthy, is qualified to open what God has closed. And the only thing that remains now, after that question of that mighty angel, is a grievous silence interrupted by John's loud sobbing. But John will not sob for very long, as we will now see in our second point. Because we read that then one of the elders, one of those 24 around God's throne, one of the redeemed saints of either the Old or New Testament interrupts John's weeping. You see, the elders, they knew what for John in his vision was still hidden. They knew that God himself had provided a lamb. And who would weep in the presence of him who was provided by God himself? And it is therefore that the elder says to John, no commands John, weep no more. In the original Greek language, you can almost hear the urgency behind those elders' words. He said, make Kalea, no weeping. Why? Because behold, 
The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. With two powerful titles, the elder describes him who is worthy to open the scroll, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the first title. And it reminds us of Jacob's blessing and prophecy about his son Judah. Genesis 49. He said, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stood down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. And who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The lion is a fitting symbol of majestic strength of him who conquered. And then there is the second title, the root of David. Yes, he is the one who is promised. He is the one who is of, who is of royal descent. And he came up as a root out of the dry ground regardless of all human impossibilities. And in spite of all Satan's opposition, he came up. For God has promised once and for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring will endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me and like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in disguise. And so, the elder points John to him who is worthy and strong and majestic and mighty and from royal descent. Behold, the elder said, look. And with this he forces John to focus his still tearful eyes upon God's throne again. And then John sees not, not a strong and a fearless lion. Not one who is clothed with royal beauty and majesty, but a lamb. And not just any lamb, but a lamb looking as though it had been slain, but yet standing, looking as it had been slain, but alive nevertheless. The lamb. But he is the same one who introduced himself to John in chapter 1 and said, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And he is in the center of the throne, surrounded by the four living creatures and the 24 elders and he stands where God is. And no one whose God himself can stand where God is. We saw it already in the previous chapter, the 24 elders either sit or fall down before him continually. And in verse 8 of our chapter, we see them again falling down together with the four living creatures. A lamb, as though it had been slain, it is not really a sign of strength, of worthiness, but let no one think that this lamb is weak. You see, to think that is to forget the titles he carries. 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The lamb is alive. And then John tells us that it has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now horns are in the Bible symbol of strength. And seven horns are the symbol of perfect strength, of God's strength, divine strength. And that's why the Lord Jesus could say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the seven spirits, as we already saw in our chapter this morning, represent God the Holy Spirit. Whom the Lord Jesus Christ received from the Father in order to send him into the world so that by his power, Christ, the triumphant Lamb of God, can carry out God's plan written on that scroll. So that by his power, Jesus Christ, our Savior, may gather, defend, and preserve his church from the beginning of the world to the end thereof. The only way that that lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, could be converted to open the scroll and to carry out God's plan was by becoming the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of this world. And he overcame. He overcame the power of Satan. He overcame sin and death. He overcame by being slain. And then, being therefore exalted by the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, what you yourself are seeing and hearing. But that's what we read in Acts 2, verse 33. But a great love, brothers and sisters, of he, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the promised root of David, was willing to become the slain lamb so that he could unfold God's plan for this by sin fallen and broken world so that he could carry out the very core of that plan and the very core of that plan still is the salvation and the redemption of you and me and so we may joyfully together with our Heidelberg Catechism confess that our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to him, to that lamb. He is worthy. And so we see him go walking to God on the throne and confidently take the scroll from God's almighty hand into his own almighty hand. And listen to this. And so God in his mercy give the execution of his eternal plan into the hands of him who is the very revelation of God's love. He entrusts it into the hands that has pierced for your and my sins, into the hands of him whose love drove him to shed his blood as a price to gain you to be his bride. Everything happens in this world come through his hand the hand of him who died for you and here we need just as John does focus our eyes upon him because if we listen 
as John did in the beginning, for an answer to the angel's question from anywhere else. Either from heaven, the earth, or under the earth. We will have no hope. And we remain the most miserable of all creatures. How hopeless, brothers and sisters, would we be if for our salvation we would depend on that little goodness that's supposed to be left in us? How lost would we remain if in our own strength we had to persevere in our faith? How forsaken would we continue to be if our finding of him would depend upon our seeking of him? But thanks be to God. That's not how it is. God's plan of which all our prayers, all our seeking him, all our need for salvation, all our desire to live unto him, all our craving and love for his nearness are a part. That plan is now in the hands of him who promised never to leave you or to forsake you, of him who loved you before we loved him and who will love us to the end. It's true. God's plan includes his judgment upon the ungodliness of the world. And, and that judgment will not always pass people, God's people unnoticed. When God's judgment strikes the earth, God's people often suffer too. We, at times, suffer too. But we know in whom we have believed. And we are persuaded that he is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's what we know. Because the scroll is in his hand. Hand who saved you. Part of God's plan at the times he calls us also to glorify him in suffering, in, in the way we suffer. But always remember that the one who executes that plan is the lamb looking as if slain. Is him who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he himself had been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. And that makes him worthy to open the scroll and to carry out God's plan in a way that will never destroy you. God's eternal plan. It holds the judgments over all the ungodliness of man and it holds the forgiveness and salvation of everyone who believes in his son. And so we may see this afternoon our savior as the lamb. This looks as it had been slain and so he rules this world. God's plan is a good plan. It's a plan which at the same time is most just and, 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 and most merciful. And it is carried out by him who, who himself stood in God's righteous judgment and, and showed to us 
the love of the Father for us. The plan is good and most wise. It's carried out by him who is the wisdom and the power of God and the savior of you, his people. And it is no wonder that now the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before him and worship him, as we will see in our third point, that the result of that mighty angel's question is also an exalted adoration. We read in verse 8 of our chapter that as soon as the Lamb had taken the scroll from the right hand of God, the four living creatures representing all living creatures on earth and the 24 elders representing all the redeemed people of the church of all ages fall down and worship the Lamb. Each one of them has a harp for the accompany of a new song which they are about to sing. And each one has a bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. A bowl full for, with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And that's so wonderfully comforting, brothers and sisters. Incense was in the Old Testament used in the temple worship and already then represented the prayers of God's people which as the smoke of the incense would rise up before God's throne and was to him a most pleasing aroma. Now, just imagine this. The living creatures and the 24 elders are worshipping the Lord before his very throne in the heavens of heavens, but not, brothers and sisters, without your prayer. For they are to the Lord a most pleasing aroma, Your prayers are used by the 24 elders in heaven for the worship of the Lamb. And this shows that we here on earth are one with our church in heaven. Christ is only one church, one holy Catholic church which spans heaven and earth. And through our prayers, we worship him before his very throne. Ever thought about your prayers that way? It's good to think about it that way. Because maybe then our prayers become more praise. Just like I see in this chapter, and not only a list of the things we need. We may bring those before the Lord too, of course. And the Lord is also honored and glorified in those prayers. But we should always watch that our prayers don't become one-sided. So accompanied by heavenly music and the prayers of the saints, the four living creatures, and his 24 elders sing their new song. It's a new song. Because only the church born at Pentecost can sing a song in which the slain lamb is praised for his redeeming work. And so they sing together, the verses 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. That's the new song. It's all about the worthiness of him and our future in that new song.
So they worship and they sing. And we brothers and sisters in the Lord, we join in that heavenly song because what these redeemed saints in heaven sing is true for us also. We may praise our Lord and Savior because he is worthy to break the seals of the scrolls of God's eternal plan and open it and to carry out that plan. And how wonderful is he doing it. Through him is your salvation secure. Through him you may with confidence walk your journey through your life because of this sinful world, or your own, and when because of your sinful world, the sinful world, and of your own sin, your journey need to your journey need to go through rough places. Still, your safe arrival is guaranteed through Him. So we have abundant reason too to join those living creatures and the elders and to praise Him, even at the end of a difficult day. He, our Savior, is worthy. Why? Because he was slain. And therefore, brothers and sisters, you cannot really join in singing this new song, but at the same time you grumble about your own suffering. He was slain. And with his blood, he purchased man for God. He ransomed, he purchased man for God from every tribe, language and people and nation, all over the world, also here. With his blood, he purchased you. He calls his people from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and he buys them for God. And so he saves the world. With his blood, he pursues you and me for God, so that through his saving work, we may, we may be restored again into the image of our God and our Creator. And so he made us not, as it says in our translation, a kingdom, but kings and priests. He made us kings so that we may fight and by the Spirit overcome sin and evil in our lives. And that we already now, through our prayers, may reign here on earth. He made us priests also so that we continually offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We will reign on earth, it says. How? By our prayers. It is upon the prayers of his people that God works great things here on earth. We remember, upon the prayer of Joshua, the sun stood still. Elijah prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years and they prayed again and then it rained abundantly. Upon the prayer of the disciples... Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost and the world haven't been the same since. Upon the prayer of the believers, angels freed the Apostle Peter from captivity and death so that he could bring the gospel of Christ to Rome, the very capital of this world. And brothers and sisters, upon our prayer, the Lord will slow down the wickedness of the nations, also of our nation. He will hold back his wrath so that we may continue to worship him in peace. Upon our prayers, he will one day upon the, appear upon the clouds of heaven and make our salvation complete. Through our prayers, send up to God, we reign on earth. And we must know this and never forget it because the extent of our reign here on earth is directly connected related to our prayers. 
It's all the living creatures. And the 24 elders praise the Lamb before his throne. And I hope so, brothers and sisters, that we all can join them in the worship and the new song. For so joining them, we too will be then surrounded by the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands who will join us to celebrate the worthiness of the Lamb. All creatures will join and heaven and earth united will sing that to him belongs the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the might forever. And together with all God's living creatures, we say, Amen. And with the 24 elders, we continue to worship him with all that we do and everywhere. For worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen.